to Work is Calling, where we will learn the experiences and insights of business leaders who see their careers as a calling from God. What is important about seeing your career as a calling? Work is fulfilling whenever we sense success, but let's face it, success can and usually is fleeting. What if instead of targeting success, we seek fulfillment? A sense of calling makes serving God your purpose. That shift can actually lead you to a sense of fulfillment regardless of success. Let's listen to the stories of those who have made the shift and have experienced this. Welcome to Work is Calling. My name is Wayne Kuna, the founder and president of Soul Priority, a ministry that coaches women and men how to transform their careers through biblical principles. Today's guest is Tim Lundin. He's actually a brand new acquaintance of mine and someone I'm hoping to get to know. Tim, welcome to Work is Calling. We're glad to have you with us. Thanks, Wayne. I appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Yeah, well, not as much as I do. I really appreciate you being here. Um, You know, Tim, we usually uh, begin Work is Calling, uh, getting to know a little bit about you. So let's give our listeners a peek at who you are and a bit of, as a bit of an introduction and... um, so they can listen to you as an acquaintance instead of a stranger. Sure, sure, sure. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, I was raised in a Christian family. And lately I've been saying that I, I was raised an only child, the youngest of six. <laughs> uh, there, were, there were enough of us that my older siblings were basically out of the house by the time I was old enough to walk around and be independent. So there's this big stretch of, uh, you know, coming from a family that large, but I didn't feel like we were always around. Um, so I had lots of time when I was by myself for some odd reason. Um, I don't know if that's normal. Um, and when I actually went to a, through my childhood, I went to a Christian private school. And as I started to realize, you know, any just kind of gifts or talents that I had, I tried to apply those at whatever church we were going to. So it was very kind of a typical uh, Christian family kind of upbringing. But at the same time, I really felt independent later into high school i was you know just making decisions on my own whether or not college was in the picture was like my parents would say you want to go to college great here's a pat on the back and good luck i mean there was, there was no plan i didn't yeah, we didn't come yeah. from a wealthy family or anything so there was no uh, real hope for that you know it was just good luck you know uh, but event but i knew that my whatever faith i had in a christian family had to be my own eventually it became an independent thing it wasn't just i was dragged to church all the time um you know, I went to uh, community college, transferred out of that to a uh, Christian college, graduated from that. The, even before I graduated college, I was working full time in a recording studio. This recording studio was uh, spoken word. So they did some radio program stuff and they did uh, audio book productions. And that was kind of my first foray into something. And I took the gig not because I wanted to be an, an audio engineer, but because I was, for some reason, uh, drawn to this work right here, sitting in front of a microphone. Yeah, and this yeah. felt really comfortable to me. So the, the the piece of equipment you have there is is fun and exciting to me. It might be terrifying to you or other people, <laughs> but uh, that they, that kind of stuff always intrigued me. I don't know why. Uh, even to this day, I don't know why. But I started working at this recording studio. I was talking to the talent. We'd do lunch breaks, you know, and I'd use those lunch breaks to interview these talent. Like, how did you get into this? what is it like being a narrator? How do, how do I, how do I do what you do kind of a thing? And hopefully they weren't bothered by that. And eventually I built up my client list, started doing voice work, started working with people who were willing to trust me as a young voice talent, branched away from that, opened my own studio, so to speak. A lot of talent these days work out of their home if they know what they're doing. And I've been doing that um, independently since 2010. 
So that's basically the the rush through my childhood all the way to the present day as far as career goes. So I narrate uh, spoken word content. Um, and any books that we uh, might uh, know? You know, it's funny. Usually the ones you know, uh, for example, I had an opportunity to work with Gary Chapman when he narrated The Five Love Languages. So he yes. came to the studio and I had a chance to work with him. It was always fun when I got to work with the authors of the books that we were working on. That sure. was always a blast. Yeah. Um, not really. A lot of the stuff that I've done... Uh, fits my voice and fits my niche. So it would be, I've done a lot of educational content. I've done some thriller type books, not in the, um, in the secular market. I've narrated a a handful, maybe a dozen titles in the Christian market. It really depends on what, what they need me for. Um, But lately, so I've, I've, I don't know, I've narrated over a hundred or 150 books, but Lately, I've kind of moved away from books and I'm doing shorter stuff. So I, I work with education, training videos. Everything online is narrated these days. Yes. And those are the kind of clients I do a lot of work with uh, oh, lately okay. just because yeah. the book industry changed. So so apart from uh, your voice, uh, do you? what kind of hobbies do you have? Do you get involved in anything else? I, I do. Well, like I said, somewhere around, um, somewhere around third grade, I picked up a guitar. There happened to be a guitar in the attic of our house and I picked it up and started playing and one of my siblings had some kind of music book and in the back of the book was pictures and the little pictures was where to put your fingers on the neck of the guitar and i remember thinking oh is that it <laughs> and i would I'd, I'd put my hands and i'm like oh okay well that's that's this chord and that's this chord and i'm like oh there you go i guess i know how to play guitar now and this was back then um that was my my out my creative outlet cuz apparently w- whatever industry i'm in is a creative industry even though um I had done work in theater. I, I don't like being an actor, which is kind of ironic. I'm not like one of those crazy, wild, you know, like just off the wall guys, which is usually who you get with voice actors. They're just these amazingly energetic guys. That's not me. Uh, so my outlet was music. And so I play guitar, pretty much any string, something with tight strings on it, I can get away with, you know. Uh, but guitar is my main instrument. And starting in junior high, uh, whatever church we were going to or involved in, I was on the youth group worship team through college, after college, getting married and all that. I've always been on a worship team. So that's kind of my, my musical creative outlet slash hobby. Cause I don't make, I don't, that's not a career. It's not like I have a side career in music, which some guys I work with do some guys on the worship team do. Yeah, they yeah, are yeah. musicians or paid musicians, what they right. do, which is kind of cool for them. But that was never, I tried for a little bit. I do coffee shops and I tried to put a CD out and I'm just like, nah, this isn't, <laughs> I'd rather just give it, you know, yeah. here, I've got this skill in music. I'm just going to give it and the, and the church can, can grow and benefit from that. So you look like a relatively young guy. Uh, so you must have a, a want to do list uh, or, or a bucket list. That's oh, sure. Pretty full. Sure. I, well, it's, uh, because I was the youngest, I think I mentioned that. Yes. Because I was the youngest, everyone was older than me. And so I always felt like I was trying to like be older for some reason. Yeah. And even in high school, I was the, I was one of the youngest kids in my grade. Mm. So when I tell people I graduated high school, I was only 17 years old. They kind of look at me funny, you know, but what it means is when every time I got the doors opened, I always assumed I was the youngest one in the room, which is kind of weird. It's a good thing. I'd highly recommend it to your listeners. Always assume you're the youngest one there and everybody thinks that you're younger than you really are. Um, But yeah, it it, once uh, we also got married young. Uh, my wife, uh, her name is Jennifer. She's sweet. She, uh, she and I went to high school together. So we're high school sweethearts, but we did not go to college together. Hmm. Uh, out of, uh, out of high school, she knew she wanted to be a physical therapist 
And so her college track was set in stone for the next five and a half years of her life. This is what you're going to do. And she went to school down in St. Louis, Missouri. And I was stuck like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I don't know. College? Yeah, I guess so. You know, I, I remember uh, I, call, I sent a, a phone call. I don't know what they were back in the day. Phone call probably to uh, Wheaton College. And I said, yeah, so I'm thinking about going to college. How, what do I, you know, who do I talk to? And they said, yeah, applications were due a year ago. Because <laughs> I had no clue, you know. So here's Jen. She's just like on track and she knows exactly what she's going to do. And I have no clue. Um, but somehow, by the grace of God, we were able to keep our relationship intact, even at a distance of whatever that is, three, four hundred miles. And the week before, uh, the week after she graduated with her degree, we were married. Uh, there's no point in waiting. Uh, I know it's real popular these days to wait until you're 35, until you're married, but uh, we were basically done having kids at the age of 30. I don't know. That's that's an advantage. Speaking of being young and having a bucket list, yes. my bucket list is just to make sure my kids are are um, are ready. You know, how many kids do you have? Just two. So okay. I have son and son and daughter. They're both. Uh, one is going to enter high school next year, and one's going to enter middle school. They're just. A, it's a great age for them. But yeah, the world's different from how we approached uh, school. Even though they they actually go to the same school that my wife and I went to. But still, it's a huge it's a huge responsibility and a daily thing where we're making sure that our kids are on track. And uh, of course, they're great. I, in my opinion, you know, of course, my kids are great. I mean, what kind of dad would you be? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but as far as bucket list, you know, we spend a lot of time as a family hiking. We like outdoor stuff, mm-hmm. not the crazy. Like we don't go mountain climbing, but sure. we'll go mountain hiking. Sure, uh, we did the whole South Dakota Black Hills thing a couple of years ago, oh, which is just nice. awesome. Nice. And um, you know, and there's other uh, other places that we'll probably do that. This past year, my wife and daughter went to Disney, and my son and I did not join them. So that's <laughs> there's some big stuff that they like doing, and we kind of looked at each other like, no, I'd different rather, buckets. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather be in the middle of a forest alone sure. than the middle of a huge uh, theme park. A lot with, less expensive too. Yeah, 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 a lot. But anyway, that's stuff like that is is high on the list and. You know, the kids have bucket list stuff and I'm trying to incorporate that into mine so oh, that yeah. they can have That's that, good. you know, so yeah. I don't just like, well, my daughter likes horses, so I can't rule that out. Sure. It's just like, well, let's go do horses then because she likes them. But. That's kind of where we're at. Nice. Right now. Nice. So let me turn uh, the spiritual page here. Um, what in God's word kind of resonates in your heart? Is there, you know, passage of scripture, uh, maybe uh um, actually uh, a story or a character or, you know, to say, wow, you know, this, this means something to me. And what, what would it mean? Well, I kind of figured you'd ask something like that. And I, I have to, yes. Yeah, you have to. No. <laughs> I, I always struggle with, with like, um, life versus favorites. Yeah. yeah life yeah. versus, you know what we've been doing lately and just maybe the last four or five years. Uh, and it's more of an inside joke in my family as we have word, a word of the year. Oh yeah. So like last yeah. year, a word was intentional. Okay. I don't know if it was, if I think it was Jen, I think it was my wife. She said my word for the year is intentional. She wanted to be more intentional about stuff. Um, a couple of years ago, I think a number of people had the word resilient because mm. we realized like, oh, we got to be resilient because things are different now, you know? And, um, my daughter's word of the year is trade-offs because yeah, you can't do both, you know, yeah. like, well, I want to do this, but I also want to do that. I'm like, no, you can't. You have to pick, yeah. you have to pick one because one is in uh, Florida and one is in South Dakota. You got to mm. pick, you know, like yeah. you, you have to decide. Um, so when it comes to Bible verses, it's usually situational. Sure. You know, uh, when things get really weird or tough or I have to make a decision, key verses will come to mind. Um, 
you know, Jesus said something that scared away, I don't know, most of the people following him. Right. And then he turns to his disciples and says, are you guys going to leave too? And they look at him and say, where, where would we go? Yeah. You have the words of life. That's a great passage. Sure. Uh, other passages that, that especially early in my career, um, because I did not, I, I'm, I'm self-employed, basically. Especially, even though I was working at a recording studio, I still saw myself and treated myself as self-employed because that was the goal. And I had to retool my brain with a lot of that mentality and that kind of focus. So there were a lot of Proverbs and Psalms that were really important to me because it was just reminding me of how important wisdom was. And um, even if it costs everything you have, seek knowledge and understanding and how important that is, how important a good name is. It's worth more than than rubies, than a, than a fistful of the most precious gems. Uh, a good name is worth more, you know, like stuff right. like that always right. came up. Yeah. And I can't tell you chapter and verse. I really appreciate the guys out there that can, that can say like, well, in Matthew 14, whatever, you know, uh, I usually can't. I just try to quote it accurately and in context. And I'll let the other guys quote chapter and verse. But story-wise, you know, I, I can be reminded of uh, Samson, you know, and how God used him and his strengths. And he was not a good guy. No, that's no, the, that, you know, yeah. the mistake that that's often is just like, oh, look at him. He was he was this and God used him. I'm like, yeah, he used him despite what a, what a lousy guy he was. And that can be reassuring sometimes because sometimes I'm like, well, I'm not the greatest guy either. Uh, but I know God can still use me. And that's that's important. I don't, I can't pursue perfection or be some of these prophets that are listed in the Bible. It's just not going to happen. But I know God can still use us, and that's important to me. Yeah, absolutely. So, in the um, the, you're an artist of, of sorts. You're you're uh, guitar playing, obviously, but your main instrument is your voice, and spoken voice. Yeah. Uh, but as far as the arts go, what about you and 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 books? You said you you know you do audio books. You've spoken books. Or, or movies or music genres. Sure, Tell sure. Tell us a little bit about those things. What's funny is I did not, okay, there's an irony of ironies. Okay. I did not like reading when I was a kid. I hated it. I don't know why. Well, I, I do know why. I couldn't connect with what I was reading. So I'd read a paragraph and my brain would go, yeah, so what? I can read the words and the words were there, but nothing was happening in my imagination. Nothing was there. So I, you know, I'd read a book about, I don't know, Milo hopping on a car and driving through a, a phantom toll booth, which is a nice reference. And I wouldn't have a clue what was going on. I just like, oh, whatever. And I just, I'd put the book down and I never did it. Yeah. I wasn't a bad student. I was a good student, I'd say. I did my homework, got the job done. When it was assigned, I would read it. But even then, I'd, I wouldn't like it. I just like, whatever. Yeah, Hamlet, sure. <laughs> uh, Macbeth, whatever. And thankfully, the teachers were explaining it well enough that I got what was going on. But I'd put the book down and walk away and not and have gleaned nothing from it. Then something happened. I don't know how much detail is just in my mind or my imagination, but I was noticing people in my life that watch television a lot. It was impacting our communication. I try to communicate with them and they'd kind of like put their hand up and say, well, hold on a second, the TV is going. And I can remember this day that got to me. And I thought, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm not going to do the whole, you come home from school, you put the book bag down and you turn the TV on. Now these days you come home from school, you put the book bag down and you pull your phone out. It's just as bad. I was done with it. And something from that made books more interesting because now I had nothing to do. Like I said, I didn't come from a wealthy family. I didn't have toys all over the place. I didn't have like, 
computer games or, you know, whatever. I didn't, I wasn't stuck on that either. And so I picked up books and I think the connecting point was the BBC had produced this program based on an Agatha Christie book. You probably know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And then I picked up the book Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, that's what the guy looks like, mm-hmm. or that's what he sounds like. Now, I know TV and movies is a bad, you know, they always say, oh, the book's better than the movie, and I agree. But for a kid who, who could not make that connection, once I could, once I allowed the show to be like, well, just pretend that Hercule Poirot is David Suchet, okay? Read the novel and see if you like it. And I read everything that she wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, probably in a year, I read all of those there's 34, book, 34, 36 books in the Hercule Poirot series. I'd recommend every single one of them. They're amazing. Um, and from there, I just took off because I was, old, I, I was like leaving high school, going into college, realizing how many books I'd never read. So I went back. I like, I remember because some kids are like, what was a big popular book when you were younger? Like, I don't know. I remember reading the Redwall series. Remember the Redwall series? And I went to the library in the kids section, right? And I got all of them. There's like 20 something. And I read them all. Actually, I read like 16 of them and then I stopped because I realized it's basically the same story told right, over and yeah. over. But it's kids' books. I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing something. It would kind of be like someone today saying, you know, I never read that key series that defined a generation. I'm going to go back and read it. Mm-hmm. Um, I read every – I find myself liking mysteries. Because of mysteries, I find myself liking kind of thriller-based stuff. And because I worked at the re- this recording studio, which was a lot of fun, I got to work with – pre-publication books so we did all of ted decker's audiobooks which was a ton of fun yeah and i didn't i didn't um i didn't narrate any of them so i was always just the producer i was the director on this side of the glass and the talent was whoever they got the talent some of them were really really great you know so it was kind of fun to work with them but the books were always fun so i read all of his stuff even before it was out which was kind of fun i do hear a thread of sleuthing in there yeah yeah and i'm just wondering if you see mysteries like on the news and you go i think i know who did no it. <laughs> no because i don't what's funny is i don't watch the news i don't okay. again i don't watch tv i don't yeah, sit yeah. around doing that sort of thing but the um yeah mysteries i like a good it has to be good see the problem is when you grow up when you when your experience is agatha christie who is just like just amazing in crafting characters and telling these stories that have a mystery element uh, I never get it right. There's even time I've, I've the whole Hercule Poirot series I've read probably three times now. Hmm. So it's these books I've read three, two, three times. Mm-hmm. And I know some of them I will pick up and read again and I won't remember who did it, the whodunit, you know, I won't remember and I'll still enjoy reading it. And she just does such an amazing job, but I don't see mystery in everything. So let's, let's look, uh, go down from your mind down to your heart. Sure. What, uh, what is out there that, that brings emotion out of you, either tears uh, or maybe great joy, tears of sadness, joy, uh, upset, maybe even anger? Interesting question. Yeah. I find, I think because I'm a musician, some of the things that will really bring a tear to my eye are music related. Um, a, an amazing, any ensemble piece that just sounds, that has that, because music pulls at our heartstrings, it's that universal language, right? So that always gets me sometimes. Not always. That gets me sometimes, um, whether I'm a part of it or not. There is a – what's funny is um, the church that we go to every Christmas, they do a production of Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm-hmm. If you're listening out there, please look it up. Buy it. Download it. And it's a great Christmas album. And so they do a live production of the whole album. And I can't go because I went once – 
and I was just in like the third row, just bawling my eyes out. And mm. I just like, I felt yeah. it was an amazing, it was not because the production value or the musicians are amazing. They are, but that music is, is that powerful to me. And I, and they do it every Christmas. And I tell the kids and my wife, like, Hey, have fun. I'll see you afterwards. We'll have donuts or something, but I can't go. Uh, maybe I'll stay home and listen to it or whatever. I just, cause I'd sit there for an hour, just bawling my eyes out. It's amazing music. The story's amazing. But I think the reason is because, um, when, uh, right before my son was born, things were just kind of difficult in general. And I was listening to that album and sometimes the healing that the music, um, could tear up right now just talking about it sometimes the the healing that the music brings just is just a memory just Mm -hmm. it brings that up and Mm -hmm. then when i put that music in it just comes right back in a good way yeah not a terrible like oh i hate this music it's just an amazing thing so for me it's mostly music um that'll kind of bring a tear to my eye um as far as anger you know what really bothers me (laughs) that's a great way to start a podcast welcome (laughs) back to the podcast you know what bothers me uh is the f- is like when truth is not allowed to be spoken mm. or when people say something that I know is not true. And I think it gets to me because for the last few years, the thing that God's put on my heart mostly is, is the authority of God's word. Mm-hmm. That's a big, that's a key thing that's under attack right now. It's always been under attack since day one, or I should say sometime after day seven. Yeah, right. Did God really say that, you know, that whole line? But lately it's just unbelievable. Mm. And and that that really gets me. It's why, it's another reason why I don't, I don't consume media. I don't watch the news. Uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, I deleted all of my social media accounts. And as a self-employed actor, that's huge. That's your only connecting point in some cases to clients or potential people who want to hire you. They say, well, what's your Insta page or what's your Facebook or what's your this? And I'm like, I don't have them. I just got rid of them because it was just, it was having such an impact on me. I thought, I don't want to be frustrated and angry. I'd rather focus on uh, God's word, focus on something that'll help me sleep at night. And it worked. So stuff like that really does get to me, but I try not to let it ruin me. Well, thanks for pulling back the curtain a little bit on your life. Um, We're going to take a break right now, and then we're going to come back and talk about Work is Calling. Work is Calling is a ministry of soul priority that coaches women and men of faith to transform their careers and workplaces with biblical principles and the book Work in the Light. That highlights why God created work, shepherd leadership, workplace culture, and the vital importance of a singular God priority. You can find out more about Soul Priority at www.soul-priority.org. That's www.soul-priority.org. Now, back to today's podcast. Well, welcome back, everybody. Tim, uh, we're going to start talking about how you came to uh, understand or view your career as something that actually God called you to as opposed to a, a job that pays for bills, which, by the way, is great. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Sure, sure. But to see that extra added layer. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I kind of alluded to this in my family and relationship story in the first half that my wife knew she wanted to be a physical therapist, and that dictated everything that she did even before she graduated high school. I remember in the high school years, she was working at a hospital. She knew that, well, I'll put myself in the medical arena right away. I'll just get used to the terminology, get used to the people, go to college, hit the ground running, graduate, and there you go. And she's been doing it ever since. She's the best in her field, in my humble but accurate opinion. And uh, 
here I am. I'm like, I don't know. One thing that I did know was that whatever I studied in college, and college wasn't required. That's the funny thing. Looking back now, I still ask myself, why in the world did I go to college? I think I had a Bible teacher in high school that I really liked. I appreciated his perspective. And I said, where'd you go to college? He said, oh, I went to Wheaton. I'm like, oh, well, I'll just apply to Wheaton. All these right. other kids yeah. in my grade are yeah. like, I don't know, I don't know. And yeah. I sent out 15 letters and, and nobody sent back an acceptance. I'm like, 15? Are, are, that, are there that many colleges? I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know anything. Uh, so, to, so I don't know why I applied to go to college. When I got there, I knew two things. Relationships and communicating were really important to me. If you remember, it's one of the reasons why I kind of turned off television because they were ruining relationships. Um, and I thought, why not? I'll just, I'll do psychology. Isn't that a people thing? You know? Right. <laughs> You're yeah. like, I don't know. You talk to people. Let's find out what's wrong with you. Yeah, with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was either. And I, what's funny, I mean, speaking of voiceover work and stuff, I, something about radio was also in the back of my mind, but I had an opportunity to work at a radio station, just kind of background stuff. And I couldn't stand it. Hmm. There's too much pressure. They're yeah. always under the millisecond as far as the clock goes. And sure. I just, I'm like, no, this isn't for me, but I'm glad I tried, you know, um, I knew maybe it had to be with relationships or communication. Let's do, let's do psychology. But regardless of what I studied, I wanted to get a second degree in Bible. Again, I don't know why. I think I just thought, you know what, this is important to me. And I didn't want to get sidetracked diving into some subject matter without also equally diving into God's subject matter. Whether I was going to be a psychiatrist or a, a whatever, a clinician, I also wanted to be strong in theology. So I thought, well, I'll just take them both. Sure. I don't know if you do that. I don't know if that's a thing. Again, I wasn't, I wasn't led. It was something to me to sit me down and say, well, based on your aptitudes, I took one of those stupid tests on the computer where you answer a bunch of questions. And it said I was supposed to be either a summer camp, a coordinator or a funeral home director. I that still narrows have, it down. It narrows it down. <laughs> I still have the printout and I love showing my kids. Cause they're like, weren't you supposed to be a funeral home director? Anyway, uh, I had no clue. So here I am, but I, I knew I wanted to study both after I'd done, um, a little bit of psychology and psychiatry at the college. I thought this isn't, something's not connecting here. I don't know what it was. You can always look back and say, well, that was God telling your spirit. I don't know. Sure it was. But at the time I had no clue. I just knew it didn't work. It didn't fit. And when you peel away the statistics and some of the medical, what you're left with is a communication degree. So I got a communication degree and it wasn't like radio broadcasting or film and TV. It was interpersonal communication. Those were the kind of classes I took, rhetorical theory and persuasion, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I can, I can convince you that that was a good idea. Um, so I was doing that and studying the Bible, graduated with both. Um, it's, I think what, how I see God's hand in all of these decisions over the years, it kind of goes back to, I can't tell you why. I can't tell you why these things were interesting to me. I wasn't a little kid that always wanted to be a, an architect because I played with Legos and Jenga blocks when I was young. Like, I wasn't that kid. Uh, I didn't have older siblings who were, I mean, I have older siblings, but it wasn't like I saw them achieving something and I thought, ooh, I want to do that. I didn't have that going on. Um, they did They did their stuff. They did their own thing. One of my brothers was in the military, but I never thought, oh, I want to do the military too. I just right. didn't know. And I look back now and think, man, there's so many doors that were open to me that I, I, there's no, I have no business having that door open to me. The fact that I even got into Wheaton college, it's funny. All my other friends are like, Oh, 
you know, I applied to 12 different colleges and only two are accepting me. And now I got to make up my mind. And I'm like, I haven't even applied yet. And here I send Wheaton a letter and like, yeah, sure. I, it just seems so weird. When I look back and think there's so many doors that have opened. Um, what kind of got me into voice work was I was doing theater in college. Again, mostly the technical stuff. I was up in the sound booth. I was with the gear and the equipment. And one of the actors said, hey, there's this recording studio down the road that needs some extra voices. They're doing a multicast drama. Remember radio theater and stuff like that? Right, they were doing yeah. something like that. And they said, they need some extra voices. Would you be interested? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Because I like theater, but I can't memorize. I have a really hard time memorizing anything, like chapter and verses from a Bible. <laughs> um, and so this stuff was perfect. I mean, the microphone's here. The script is right in front of me. I don't have to memorize anything. I don't have to put on makeup and a costume. So that was like, wow, I like this. This works. There's technology. There's microphones. There's, I, the gear was very comfortable to me. And that creative you know, half acting, half ensemble casting was there. All these things were fitting together because some guy invited me and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll try, you know? And I feel like there's so many things in my life where I just kind of basically said, yeah, sure. And God was using that to kind of push me in this direction. And that's kind of where I find myself now. And I could tell you other stories too, but. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, you talk about being uh, relational and communicative um, how does your sense of uh, your career as a calling impact the people around you? I mean, do you are you really sensitive to friendships? Uh, do you pray with them? Pray for them? Are you a good listener? Do you you know? I guess it's how do you see that calling being worked out in your day to day career? I found that it my career is a very solitary career. I work in a soundproofed sell, you know, by myself. There's not, I, I have clients that to this day, I mean, I've had clients for 10, 12, 13 years, and I've maybe talked to them once, maybe twice. A lot of it's digital email yeah, back and yeah. forth. Sure. Here you go. Here's your contract, whatever. So as interpersonal as I feel like I'm uh, sensitive, I have very few interpersonal relationships in my, in my line career. of work, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Yeah. So a lot of that plays out in other avenues. Like with my kids, with my kids' friends, there was a period of time when I was low on voice work, and so I would substitute teach at their school. And that there were kids at the school who found that I was communicating to them well and explaining principles to them well, and they always appreciate that. Because there's nothing worse than a substitute teacher who doesn't know what they're doing. Um, so in a way, maybe God was just saying, hey, every once in a while, you're going to leave the sound booth and you're going to do something that has nothing to do with what you're trained for, but you'll be fine. And I'm finding that happens a lot. Um there is another voice uh, uh, talent that I work with, and she kind of has a similar background. She's she's done a ton of different stuff. And I asked her once, I said, you know, I if I had to look back, I mean, I've had 20 different jobs in my career. There's no, like, track to being a voice talent. Not really. Uh, why is that? What's going on? And she said, you know, sometimes God has a place for you to be, and you're the only one who can do it. And that's why you're there. And then like eight months later, they don't need you anymore. And that's fine. And that has happened. Right. I've yeah. gone into a position, I'm like, I don't know why everybody's listening to me. I'm not like a professional in this regard. Like, why are people like, well, they trust me with something and they'll say, hey, hey, you're a musician. Why don't you do X, Y, and Z? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm not, you know, like I always think like, well, that's, I'm not, that's not what I do for a living. But for that moment, 
I was specifically equipped to do that thing. And I was willing to just say, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Even though it was not going to be a 45 year career and it wasn't going to make any money. It was just, that's what I was trained to do. And then I go home and I narrate in front of a microphone because it gives me the time and the, and the place to do that. I think that's mostly how I see it play out as far as specifically to my career, how, um, how I view what I'm doing as a calling. A lot of it has to do with principles and standards. Um, Yes, I'm fair with my clients. I don't lie to them. I don't defraud them. You know, the Ten Commandments stuff, you know. Uh, I don't try to uh, finagle my way into like a contract that only benefits me. I'm a big fan of win-win-win situations where it's not just me and my client winning, but our ultimate end user, which is the listener. I want them to win too. And I get the feeling people who work with me know that. Uh, Of course, I try to hold myself to the highest standards possible when it comes to audio quality and production quality. Um if anybody works with me and then stops working with me, I want them to feel like they need to hire like two or three people to make up for what I was bringing to the table. And I, I hold that as a, as a scriptural standard. That's not because I'm a hardworking guy. Cause I'm really not, I'm just as lazy as anybody else. But because I believe that that's important, I feel like that I bring that to the table and God uses that and works through that. Um, it also means turning down work. And this is something I knew I wanted when I found out that I was going to sit down and talk to you. Um, when I just opened my recording studio and kind of working independently, of course, I was interested in getting more clients. Absolutely. Um, yeah. My uh, our son was there. My daughter had just been born, so here I am, young family. Uh, you know, times are difficult. I don't know if you remember two thousand eight, two thousand ten timeframe. Not everything was was peachy, you know. And so client, you know, client relationships was really important. I'm like, how do I get more of these relationships, especially in a crowded market like mine? And um, there was one company that I started working with. They were doing educational content, some books that no one would listen to. I mean, that's that's the point. It's like a textbook almost like you don't nobody goes out and buys a textbook for fun. But the students that need to read that or need to listen to it, it's vital. So that was that kind of product. And I did a few for them. And then they said, hey, we've got this book about education. We think it'd be a good fit because you sound like an educator. I said, thanks. And I, 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 I get the text. I get the PDF. It was, it was. I'm reading it off the computer, and I hit record, and I say, introduction. The history of education in America is defined by the subjugation and elimination of minority communities. Oh, wow. And I, my brain said exactly the same thing. What? Wow. And the computer is still recording and I'm sitting there in silence and I'm scrolling through this document like, what? This is a, is this a book? Is this a textbook? Is this an opinion piece? I'm fine with people having opinions, especially if they're not my own. But this was not an opinion book. It wasn't an editorial. It was a textbook. And I'm like, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense. So I do the next smart thing is I scroll all the way to the back of the book to look for sources cited and there were none. I'm like, I can't do this book. First of all, the history of education is not defined by the elimination of culture. That's not how it works. There's no, there's no proof. Remember the thing that makes me angry is when people refuse to tell the truth or when they try to get away with telling a lie. And I thought, no, this isn't, this isn't right. So I had to call the company that had hired me and I say, you know, I'm sorry, but I can't do this book. I have a conflict of interest with what the author is trying to say, and I just I can't put my name on this book because you know a good name 
is worth more than a than a handful of fine gems. Right. And if, I didn't say that to them, you know, but sure. I said I can't I can't do this book, and they were like, well. I mean, you kind of said you would. I mean, that's a contract. That's a good name issue, right? And I said, yes, but I didn't know. I didn't know the content. It was just like education, textbook. Sure, I'll do it. I do those all the time. It's very rare that I get to read through a whole book and then decide on the contract. I just have to know or I get a glimpse of it. That's all I get. And I said, I can't do it. I'm sorry. And, and I said, I've told you, you gave me the book like yesterday. So hopefully that I've declined this contract, you have enough time to find another narrator. I'm, there are t- plenty of narrators that sound far better than I do. I'm sure you'll have no problem, you know. And I never heard from them again. And it probably, it would have been like a, th- a 35 or a $4,000 book for me. Young family, kids, daughter was just born. I could have used that four grand, but I couldn't do the book. And I, I, I knew, I thought, this is, is this going to be an issue? You know, I, <laughs> I thought I was in this fun, entertaining, you know, I put my voice to work and people pay me to talk. Why well, isn't it grand, you know? And here I am like, I can't just take any gig. And ever since then, I was trying to be more sensitive to what jobs I was taking, even if they paid well. Because I knew it wasn't just like, well, my kids will, will listen to this someday. It was more just the principle of it. I thought I can't put my name or my voice to something that I know is not true. Again, I've read books in the secular market. I've read books in the Christian market. No one is perfect. Authors tell their opinions all the time. I have no problem with opinions. But when a product is put out and they're like, this is the truth, I'm like, no, this isn't true. I can't narrate it. Right. It won't come across. I also, I don't use, I have narrated profanity, for example, but I don't use profanity. Because I never use it, it doesn't work. It's kind of funny because I'll, I'll, I'll think about it or, or it'll be in a book and I'll think, oh, that sounds so stupid because I don't use it. It's cheating in my opinion. I don't think it's a useful vocabulary. Uh, but it's something like that. Like if I were to read something that I know isn't true but is being proclaimed as truth, it's not going to come across right. My voice should like catch or it should sound fake or something like because that's what, it's what it is. And that's a, big, that's a big impact of how God is using, kind of working in me. And how I view what I do as a calling, because I'm not putting product out there that isn't true. And that's really important to me. So, uh, you know, when it's going well or when it's not going well, or, you know, you feel there's a conflict of interest. And in and and actually, as a designer myself, I've been in that boat. Mm-hmm. Um, what fuels you to, to continue, you know, that sense of calling in your life? Um, you know, I, I hate to... to, to like prescribe an answer here, but are there practices? Are there people in your life? I mean, what what encourages you and strengthens you, know, you to keep going? Yeah, you know what? There are a couple clients that I have that I regularly narrate for that are ministries. And I feel like that's important. I know it doesn't always work in um in a lot of other careers, but I know that there are business owners, if they have if they're in a position to do that, sometimes they'll They'll go through their regular course of business, and they won't just donate money at the end of the year for the tax write-off or whatever, but they'll actually try to intentionally do business with uh, Christian ministries or communities. I don't know, maybe cut them a deal or or work with them in a very unique way that you really aren't required to work with them or, or you know, in the more secular market. For me, um, working with... Uh, doing voice work for ministries is is important because it kind of reminds me that sometimes I'm there. 
I mean, I go through doubts all the time. Like I'll read something and like, this doesn't sound good at all. People pay for this. You know, like I, I'm not like this A-list narrator guy. I'm just somebody that people think, oh, let's pay Tim to do it. And then I sit down and do it. I think, how in the world did I get here? You know? And then I think of the other clients where I know why I'm here. It's because I'm working with them. Maybe, maybe there's this ministry over here that I narrate for and there's no way they would have known about me had I not been in this market. And I know that I'm serving them because that's what I need to be doing right now. I may not be narrating for them next year. I may never hear from them again. But right now, I need to be serving them. And I'm the only guy, apparently, that they've found that can do it. And thankfully, I have 15, 20 years of experience to say, yeah, let's do this. Let's get this thing done, that sort of thing. I feel like that's that's had the biggest impact to see that what I'm doing is a calling. It's not just an entertaining, fun thing. It has its moments, you know. That's usually what I tell people. They say, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a narrator. Wow, that's fascinating. I say, yeah, it has its moments. But it's mostly, how can I use this for these, for the ministry, for the kingdom? That's really, I think that's becoming more important to me, especially as I get older. So um, one other thing I wanted to ask you, is there a sense or if, uh, um, that you see what you do, your career, as worship, worshipful? I mean, you know, you talked about a worship director and stuff like that, and Playing the guitar, we usually associate that with praises, singing, and stuff. But yeah. is there something where what you're doing is actually God takes as worship? I I think it would be hard for me to answer that. the The outlet that I have is very musical. So when I think of worship, and when I specifically think of that, that's how we enter the court of God. That's how we enter His courts with praise. Right? I think of music because that's the gift God gave me. I have narrated books that I know are a blessing to people books written by Christian authors, fiction and nonfiction. And I know um, I'll always finish the book and think, this is a great book. I hope it does well in the marketplace. I hope people hear this message because the author did a great job conveying it. It draws people to God. It draws people to the Word. And, um, I mean, I could easily view that as as worship. Usually in the moment, uh, I don't. I mean, usually in the moment, I'm just thinking, did I say that right? And i got to go back and <laughs> yeah. say it again, you know? Because that's, that's, that's how my field works. I'm usually thinking about what I'm doing. But of course, in music, I could easily lose myself in what I'm doing because it's so easy to to just start music and turn that over to God and say, this is, I'm using this as worship. It's a little harder to do for me in the recording studio, uh, but it's mostly the outcome. Thinking like this is, this product is going to do, I hope it does well in the marketplace because it will draw people closer to God, stuff like that. So we're going to throw you a softball, hopefully, sure. uh, with a nice, easy, no curve on it, smack out of the park. Um, I'll give you a couple minutes just to share with the people who are listening something that uh, might really bring encouragement or strength to them, something that you learn a little bit of wisdom. Uh, maybe it's an insight. Um, yeah, you just want people to hear it. It's it's uh, meant a lot to you, and you think it would mean a lot to others. Well, first of all, I appreciate the time that, that we've taken here that you'd be willing to ask me these questions. Um, I would encourage anyone listening, go back and listen to the previous podcasts. There are some great stories, some great testimonies of other people in the workplace, people with much stronger and longer careers than mine. Uh, there's a lot of fascinating stories and way that God is using us uh, just in our day-to-day careers, us non-professional Christians, yeah, you know, not yeah. the pastors and the authors. Right, yeah. stuff. Uh those stories are amazing. Please go back and listen to those podcasts. They're really good. I would encourage you to do that. And I don't know. I think um, what's really 
hitting close to home, and maybe this just happens to your average guy in his 40s, which is what I am, young 40s, is, uh, I, you know, I, I'm turning, I'm so used to turning down work because I know it's not either not good or I don't agree with the, like, this is not good content to have in the marketplace, so I'm not going to put my voice to it. But also because I know God is, is regularly calling me to do something specific, and I'm really trying to stay sensitive to that. Like I said, I could narrate every day, but maybe that afternoon, I'm, God wants me to work with this community over here, and I've got time to do that. And it has nothing to do with my career, but there's no way I would have had an opportunity to enter that space and to serve in that ministry if it weren't for my career. So how do I balance that? How, like well, on a day-to-day basis, am I like, you know, narrating prayer, you know, or something? Or I, although I did narrate the Bible once, uh, no, I mean, sometimes I'm just narrating boring stuff, you know, who knows what I'm going to do the next day? Like, yeah, it's not always fun and games, but because I've been doing this, it's like opening a door where people say, oh, let's, let's ask Tim. I bet he could do it. And I think, why me? I just, I sit in my studio by myself and I talk to myself, you know, with a script in front of my face and I'm trying to be sensitive to God saying, there's this thing over here I want you to do. Go do that. And there's this thing over here and you're going to get people calling you. It's not for you. Turn them down. I'm really trying to stay sensitive to that because we, we only have so much time. Right. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. If you ask me this question in 10 years, it'll probably change. Yeah. Well, Tim, thanks so much for spending some time with us yeah. and giving us uh, some of your insights into work is calling and you yourself as a person and uh, as a, a person in business, your own business. Uh, thanks much. Thank you. This has been another episode of Work is Calling, a ministry of soul priority that coaches women and men of faith how to transform their careers and workplace through biblical principles. You can find out more at www.soul-priority.org. We hope you join us again next time for another interview of an individual who has discovered work is calling.